in marketing for a charity and on my first day they said um oh actually um we've hired you as a marketer but what we really need to do is raise a million quid otherwise we're going to go under which was not my best sort of moment in uh in my career my whole kind of uh, approach to fundraising is that, that if you develop the right project and program um, and you communicate it well then people and resources will follow um, and that's been the whole kind of ethos of of course for right from day one purposely podcast speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders people who are making the world a better place here's your host mark longbottom a really warm welcome to episode 62 with Michelle Wright, founder and CEO of Cause4, a social business. In fact, it's actually a B Corp. It supports charities and philanthropists to develop and raise vital funds. Cause4 is known for its disruptive philanthropy and has so far raised over 50 million for its clients. Enjoy the episode. Yeah, great to meet you, Mark. You're the founder and CEO of Cause4. What's their purpose and what's their mission? Set up to support charities to achieve more and better. Uh, that's our original uh, core purpose. And we do that in a variety of ways through fundraising, other aspects of income generation, program development, partnerships. It's where we think we can make really healthy and active change. started just after the financial crisis what was the reason for founding it what sort of um, gave you the inspiration I think there were there were two things uh, um, I mean when I look back now and think my goodness who on in their right mind would start a fundraising organization at the start of a big recession but actually that was one of the the motivators I was working in a charity in the city of London at the time and I, I remember when Lehman Brothers collapsed and seeing you know literally thousands and thousands of their staff sort of walking out uh, uh, to the station with the sort of boxes of their possessions um, in their hands and that was a moment of thinking you know the world is changing and the world of charities and arts culture and heritage organizations is going to need to change and adapt and I thought there was a, a role for a small organization that could work quite entrepreneurially in the in the charity space um, and also I'd had in the back of my mind that it would be a great thing to run a business, start a business, um, you know, thinking I could be more in control of my my work life and all those things. And of course, as soon as you get clients or customers or charities, then um, that all goes out of the window, um, of course. But um, yeah, I think there, there was a, a moment where I, th- I thought I could try it and just see see what happened. And has it lived up to expectations and what were the sort of early pain points? Well, the, I mean, absolutely has now. I mean, I, I feel hugely sort of kind of privileged really to be working in a space where we can choose the type of work and the organisations that we get involved with and all those um, things. Did I go into it thinking that I'd still be here 12 years on? I'm not sure. I mean, that wasn't really what I, I was thinking about. I, th- I think in the the early days um, that there were lots of things that if I look back now, I think I would do differently. Um, you know, we were sort of very busy in those early days um, and excited to be busy, but that meant we probably grew too fast. 
Um, and so some of the quality of the work suffered. Um, and I found that just made me kind of miserable, really. Um, and, you know, we, I suppose the other thing that um, I really think quite a lot about is that we started to get a bit defined by other people's measures of success, um, which perhaps sounds a bit crazy, but we were very um, uh, kind of successful in the early days in startup awards and those things. And I wouldn't now even enter those things that we did in our in our early days because actually it meant our profile far exceeded uh, what we were able to deliver. Um, and again, that was something that uh, I, I found very uh, concerning. But when you get into that world of um, startup enterprise, um, I was finding that people were kind of interested in cause for because we were able to employ a lot of staff relative to the size of our organization. And we, um, you know, our turnover was growing and, and those sorts of things. I just thought, this is crazy. You know, these are other people's measures of success. They're not why I started this enterprise. Right. Um, I was far more interested in the work that we could take on and having some flexibility to address and spot gaps um, and to be able to develop and design programs when, to address some of those uh, gaps. Um, and so probably about five years in, um, we completely recalibrated it actually. Um, so again, we, we had the smallest, move to a smaller staff team um, and really started to think about values and what we were trying to, um, to achieve. Because I think, um, again, something I was sort of very aware of, we were chasing a lot of things, but without a defined goal and I wouldn't say as a team we particularly have a defined goal now but our defined goal is to be able to take on uh, work that is of interest where we think we'll be able to make a real contribution and where the team will be really engaged and um, happy to deliver it um, mm. and if we can do that and also manage some flexibility in our home lives and working lives etc then um, then that feels good enough to me. been a best day in the office like is there a particular project um or initiative that you you're involved in throughout course force history that you're most proud of um that's a really good question i think some of our program design the programs that we've developed that have sustained over years um so we run a program that is funded by arts council england for example, called Arts Fundraising and Philanthropy, which is about, um, it's quite a broad program in, in a way, but about supporting the arts, culture and heritage fundraising workforce and um, via uh, a number of different programs and training initiatives, et cetera. Um, and that's now been running since 2012. So those programs that keep innovating and changing and responding to uh, to need, um, um, uh, I've been uh, particularly proud of. And also another initiative like that um, is a programme uh, we run called Creative Entrepreneurs, which was supporting people that were from my back background, which is actually, um, I was a violinist uh, originally, um, so I had sort of music training. Um, so people that had uh, performing art careers, uh, arts careers, um, you know, supporting them into being able to run good, solid creative businesses. Um, so any of those programs that have sustained over a number of years and where you can see other organizations now uh, 
being sustainable or or those uh, individual artists being able to uh, supplement their careers or run good creative businesses uh, would be the things I'm most proud of. Yeah, because looking back in your um, work history, if we take a bit of a, a look back, so um, performing arts, a, wrong, a strong um, background in development focused on um, youth music and also London Symphony of Orchestra. What's, tell us about your passion for music. Um, well, that's what, um, I mean, through school, when I got to about 14 or 15, that's where I felt that I was really um, kind of, you know, interested to pursue that path. So I was lucky enough to go to study music for sixth form and then on to conservatoire. So I went to the Guildhall School of Music and Drama in, uh, in London. Um, and, you know, so kind of appreciate and pleased that I went down that route. Um, and, but then I suppose when I got into the profession, um, in terms of what I was doing, which was mostly orchestral uh, music, I felt that it was quite restrictive for me. Um, and I, I thought, you know, the, the danger is I'll, I'll be doing the same thing, <laughs> exactly the same thing in, in 20 years time. So I then took a sideways step into the, uh, the charity sector. But in fact, one of the, the areas um, that I am most interested in is um, how you can support people from any background into recognizing transferable skills, because, you know, we're not or we don't need to be stuck on a particular career path necessarily. You know, there's a, a lot of working life ahead of us. So being able to take the steps and have the confidence and people that can support you sometimes to take a uh, you know, a big step into retraining or into a different um, field um, is something that I am quite uh, interested in and very, very interested um, because of my own background in the transferable skills of uh, creative artists and performing artists into industry and enterprise. Um, because I think if you can kind of manage that training and do it really well, then you have got some amazing transferable skills into the workplace. Um, and certainly into kind of entrepreneurial life but I think sometimes it's hard to recognize those when you're when you're in it, as it were. yeah yeah and it, and it provides diversity of thought doesn't it you still get out the violin in, to this day or I, I, I do not as much as, as I'd like since I've, I've got two um, uh, young children who are age four and six um, but they're just starting musical instruments as well. So it's it's quite nice. I, I'm, I'm doing a bit more now than I was. You can live vicariously <laughs> through them. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm trying not to, to do that, actually. But it is really nice that they're, they're starting out now. Tell me about fundraising and marketing, because that's what you kind of ended up doing a lot of. Um, how much fundraising is marketing and how much um you know are you a pure, are you a purist marketeer or more of a fundraiser how would you describe yourself and and do you sort of run off the principles of the the fundraising pyramid or like and how has it evolved for you your thoughts on that space yeah it's a really good question so my first um sort of couple of roles in the charity sector um were more communications based roles and i was really lucky because i had a boss in the early days who supported me to do the Chartered Institute of Marketing exams. And um, so I'm a chartered marketer. And then I, I, I literally, um, bit 
by accident. I, I got my first senior job as a um, uh, in marketing for a charity. And on my first day, <laughs> they said, um, oh, actually, um, we've hired you as a marketer, but what we really need to do is raise a million quid. Otherwise, we're going to go under, which was not my best sort of moment in uh, in my career. No. So I fell into fundraising um, by accident, which a lot of people do because they're, in fact, one of the things I'm working on at the moment is a proper career path for fundraisers um, from sort of apprenticeship right through to um, senior levels because there isn't anything um, that readily exists in the way that we, we have for marketers etc but the um, so I fell, in, fell into fundraising and I had no at that point no formal training in fundraising at all and actually I think that from my perspective stood me in quite good stead because I could only then develop programs and fundraising initiatives based on those sort of skills or the experience I had on uh, in communications and also if you like in program design because I'd been through various sort of systems of program design in in charities and, and arts organizations and so uh, again without hopefully sounding too cheesy my whole kind of uh, approach to fundraising is that, that if you develop the right project and program um, and you communicate it well, then people and resources will follow. Um, and that's been the whole kind of ethos of, of course for right from day one. Um, you know, if you get the program right, if you develop the right partnerships, if people can readily understand it, by it's simple and distinctive, then um, you have a real fighting chance at, at securing funds. Um, so my slightly circuitous route into uh, fundraising, I think definitely, um, I've been able to build on firstly the training I had in music and in, in program design, but then also uh, the communication skills from from marketing. Fundraisers are born or made. I mean, based uh, on what you just said, kind of could be made, right? But... Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I mean, there's a kind of um, age old debate on um, whether fundraising is art or, or science. Um, and a lot of fundraisers are actually hired for um, uh, passion rather than necessarily technical ability. I, 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 I think you have to bring the two together, really. I mean, for, for sure, the best fundraising I've done, I think, is for causes where I have a real interest and passion and I've been kind of really curious to, to learn more and to really understand. Um, but um, yeah, it, despite what I said about my early career, I'm also not advocating that um, uh, there's no formal training because I think you, you know there are definitely some principles and some ways to approach things um, and some science uh, that makes people uh, kind of you know better uh, technical fundraisers. And in, um, we don't describe ourselves as consultants, but in the consultancy work that we do, is actually attuning to the organisational culture is the big skill because you know you can immediately jump from a to z in designing a great strategy but it's the complexity of the organization and whether it's ready to embrace change and how quickly and what the barriers are to that from usually a people side um that defines really the ambition or you know what 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 you can put forward so um yeah. you know i say it also <clears throat> to the entrepreneurs i I work with it, it it's having that definition around what you're trying to achieve because you know if you tell me that you want to 
build and run the kind of biggest theatre in the UK, that's a very different proposition from if you want to uh, design some theatre-based work that is going to supplement your career as an actor, that sort of thing. And I know that sounds so obvious, but often we don't define what we're trying to achieve. So we're kind of working to this amorphous um, amorphous sort of goal um, that has mm. no clarity around it. The things I've also learned is not you know, just because I think a particular initiative or concept is is interesting, the the market's got to be ready for it. So again, that comes down to to to, to marketing skills. But I think that's transferable to what I I was just saying with the culture. You know, an organisation can quite often talk a language of change and that they want to do things differently. But then you find embedded in the culture all sorts of barriers to that. So, you know, there's a lot of unpicking to work out whether an organisation really is ready to, to go through a kind of process of change or development or, you know, really they're sort of saying that for other reasons because they're under financial pressure or because their board wants them to, to change, but actually there's no real appetite to do some of those things that are going to lead to a different result. Um, so that's, I mean, we sort of... Um, say uh you know there's that thing about um one percent inspiration isn't it 99 percent perspiration well we sort of turn that on its head with one percent technical technical and 99 percent culture in our work because it's understanding the culture as to whether we we know you know what what's going to be possible or not and there are person or a, or an organization that's kind of exciting you most is or is there a is there a trend kind of developing that's got you excited Gosh, that that's very uh, interesting too. I, I I wouldn't necessarily single out one um, particular organisation, but I one of the things that I think is a real frustration in the charity sector is that there's often very little space for thinking and and um, you know just space where we just really reimagine things or 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 try new things in quite a radical way. And some of the health charities that I'm involved with have started to sort of um, take models from tech sector and other sectors where they're kind of really having scratch days of like if we could change the course of you know cancer or whatever then what would be some of the really radical things that we would we, we would do um, and there are a few programs that I'm supporting at the moment that have high risk of failure but um, but also if they were successful could do something extraordinary. So finding that space in a charity sector that is often under-resourced, underfunded, and you know, perhaps not as efficient as we would all like it to be, I think is um, for me would make a real difference because there's some brilliant potential and thinking and creativity in the charity sector, but often we don't have space to realize it. Yeah. Do you, what, what's the sort of future do you think for your organization yes but i am very ambitious for cause for but i'm ambitious for us to be a you know well thought of profitable business that can do the work that it want that we want to do you know i'm not ambitious for growth for its own sake or a, a big infrastructure or um you know huge team that needs needs servicing so i think a lot of our ambition and growth actually comes through the the program design that I talked about and how we sustain those 
initiatives and, and grow them as opposed to the model for, for cause four, because, you know, at, at, as things stand at the moment, we've, we've got a business model that allows us to be able to take on some of those ambitious, ambitious programs. And final question, what, if you could change something tomorrow about the sector, what would it be? Business models would be where I'd start. And, you know, I, I think in some quarters we get stuck on buildings and needing to have a place to call home. Um, and in fact, quite often we can do so much more, more quickly um, without necessarily having um, that, 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 that sort of building that then again needs, need, needs servicing. So I, I'm actually really hopeful that, um, that COVID will um, actually help some organisations to completely rethink bricks and mortar in place um, because I think we could be much more fluid and do far more in collaboration um, if we lost some of that uh, that sort of need to be be linked into into one place. Wonderful. Um, but, yeah. Well, it's been a real pleasure um, connecting and talking, and thank you very much for joining me on purposely. Well, it's been great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. I hope you like what you're hearing, because I sure do. 